Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. So if you have uh, your Bibles, I would that you will open to Luke, and rather than open to Luke chapter 1, um, I want you to actually open to Luke chapter 4. Uh, we've actually started in Luke chapter 1. Uh, back in Advent, so I don't know if you recall, Advent was found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 4 because while chronologically Luke 1 uh, makes some sense, and we've already touched on it actually, from a thematic and a theological perspective, Luke chapter 4, I believe, is the locus of this entire book and helps us to understand where we are. So if you have it, Luke chapter 4, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 17 through 21. This is on page 860 of your pew Bibles, Uh, and if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And even if you don't have it in your pew Bibles, it will be on the screens. Luke 4, we're going to be reading verses 17 through 21, and when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Hear the word of the Lord. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You may have your seats. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us the words of scripture, God, as we hear about the liberating power of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage us. God, I pray that you would call us to more, God, and I pray that you would remind us of the holistic gospel that transforms our lives, body, soul, and spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. In 15 days, our nation will pause to commemorate Juneteenth, uh, also known particularly in the African-American community as Freedom Day or Jubilee Day. And for generations, this day has been celebrated, and just in recent years has it began to be celebrated at a national level. If you don't know what Juneteenth is, it is the day in which uh, the slaves in Texas heard that they had been liberated, although the Emancipation Proclamation had went forth 18 months prior. Because they found themselves over in a part of the country that was far away, they didn't have iPhones and email and text messages to find out that they were free. And so while the Emancipation Proclamation came out on January 1 of 1863, they wouldn't get the news until June 19, 1865, when some 2,000 Union troops, many of whom were African American, arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas to announce their liberation to more than 250,000 enslaved black people in Texas. 
This is still later, even though the enslaved Africans got their uh, liberation on January 1st, 1863, this is still almost 100 years later uh, than America received her emancipation from Great Britain on July 4th, 1776. And so in two weeks, we will celebrate this day that we call Juneteenth, or Freedom Day, or the Day of Jubilee. And I love this, uh, I love this, this holiday as we remember the Emancipation Proclamation that came forth from a president, good old Abe Lincoln, honest Abe. I don't care what state you are in in America, they say Abraham Lincoln lived there, he walked through there, he bought a candy bar there. I, I don't know where Abraham Lincoln really hung out because if I'm in Indiana, he's there. In, in, in Illinois, something happened there. Missouri, he stopped through, got a St. Paul sandwich, kept it moving. Everybody wants to lay claim to Abe Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln is known as one of our more honest and, and upstanding and upright uh, presidents of this great union. And I'm grateful for the Emancipation Proclamation, though one, when you read the historical account, can contend that Abraham Lincoln had mixed motives for emancipating the slaves. That's true for everything that every politician has ever done for every government in the history of everything. So the fact that he had mixed motives comes as no surprise. I'm just glad that Brother Abe decided that us black folks should go free. I can appreciate that. Whatever his motivation was, I'm just glad that he said it. Hallelujah on this morning. But as I thought about the Emancipation Proclamation, Brother Abe Lincoln and his goodness and his honesty and his mixed motives, I'm going to tell you what Brother Abe didn't do. While he issued the Emancipation Proclamation that went forth on January 1st, 1863, he did not leave the White House. In fact, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation and stayed right where he was. In fact, he stayed right where he was so strong that there were slaves all the way to the West who didn't know it for another year and a half later. He did not move his feet. He sent some power. He sent some enforcement to make sure it happened. But Honest Abe stayed where he was. And what I want to share with you all this morning is that Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, as thankful as I am for it as a black man in America, does not hold fire to Jesus Christ's Emancipation Proclamation that I just read in your hearing this morning. And what I love about Jesus' Emancipation Proclamation is that he doesn't just send angels or send troops or send messengers or send people to enforce his Emancipation Proclamation. He doesn't come down out of the White House. He comes down from the celestial balconies of heaven and wraps himself in a body of flesh and makes sure himself that we are emancipated from sin, from sickness, from depression, from all the things that affect, affect all of us who live in this fallen world. I wish you would look at your neighbor and tell them that we are free. Look at your neighbor. Just tell them we are free. Tell them we are free because of what Jesus has done. Look at your other neighbor and tell them you free too. Look at your other neighbor. Let them know that you are free. And so this morning, I just came to announce to Harold what Jesus has already proclaimed, that no matter where you are, what you are going through, whether you're black, white, Native American, Asian, whatever your nationality is, Jesus has declared your freedom and then put his power in place behind the proclamation with the blood of his cross to deliver you from the powers of the enemy. Y'all might as well talk back today because Jesus has already done all of the liberating that we need. And so this morning, we find ourselves at Jesus' trial sermon. If, you ain't, if you're a preacher, you know what a trial sermon is. It's your first sermon that you get to open up your Bible and preach about. My tri first trial sermon, it was an hour and 10 minutes long. It was a manifesto of everything I had thought for my entire Christian life up until that moment. <laughs> 
I went back and I looked at that manuscript. It was an 18-page manuscript. I mean, I gave them everything I had. And then when I was done, that was it. I had said, every, <laughs> had said everything I had for my entire Christian life. And what we have here in the Gospel of Luke amounts to Jesus' first recorded sermon. We know that he's already been proclaiming. He's already been delivering. He's already been teaching. But here we are getting the record of what his ministry is all about. And he says, my ministry is about liberation. Somebody say liberation. My ministry is about liberation. And so he shows up in his hometown of Nazareth. This is where he was from. This is in the northern part of Israel, not down south where Jerusalem was. He was in the north part. And he shows up and he goes to synagogue like was his custom. Let me put a pin right there. This ain't what the sermon is about. But since I'm over there, if the incarnate eternal Logos, the Son of God, the Word of God wrapped in flesh, went to synagogue every week to worship God, maybe you should try to go to church regularly too. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to keep it moving. And so Jesus shows up to corporate worship as he does every week, and he stands up to read because in the synagogue service, any male who had had a bar mitzvah could read from the Torah, the daily Torah portion, but it doesn't say that he read the, the weekly Parsha, which is the weekly Torah portion, or anything like that. It says he goes through the scroll, and he finds, he, 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 Jesus had a way of knowing his Bible. This wasn't even his personal Bible. Some of us got our personal Bible, and in our personal Bible, it is only there that we can navigate ourselves. But Jesus knew the word so well, because I just told you he was the word made flesh. He just rolled the scroll all the way to the end. Isaiah 61, five chapters before the end of it. And he found this text. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus finds this text and he announces what amounts to the year of Jubilee. And so in Isaiah 61, these uh, 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 exiles of Israel who had been rejected from the land because of their sin had been in the land of Babylon in captivity for some 70 years. And so they had the scroll of Isaiah and they were able to look back and see the promise of God that God would not abandon them in exile. That even in their bondage, even in their being locked up, even in their punishment for sin, that God had not abandoned them. And that is a note for those of us who might feel that we are in exile, and bondage, in captivity to a variety of things. That no matter where you are, even if you brought it upon yourself, God will not abandon you where you are. And so here he announces the Jubilee, this year of the Jubilee, which is actually um, explicated in Levit Leviticus 25. And this is one of my favorite reasons to read the Torah. If you don't read the Torah and don't like Leviticus in particular, you should read Leviticus 25. I'm telling you why. Because in the book of Leviticus, it says every 50 years, every 50 years, if there were, in, there were enslaved people in Israel, they got to go free. If people had to sell their land, they got to get their land back, their familial, ancestral lands. They got to go back. And they, whatever they were, they were able to be free from their debts. If they had ran up their Discover card and their Chase credit card, it was automatically zeroed off every 50 years. If this ain't a reason to follow the Torah, I can't find a better one. I asked my, I was hanging out with my, my rabbi homie, and I, I've asked some questions about Torah. I'm like, hey, do Israel do this now? Now? Because I'll move. I'll show move. And he's like, no, nah, they ain't doing this now. I'm like, see, they need to follow the Bible. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and so the Jubilee 
became a symbol of the social, economic, and spiritual liberation that's available to the people of God, and it became a parable for what God could experience both now through the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have to look forward through to when the kingdom is consummated at his return. And so this is what uh, theologians like to call the already and not yet, that we experience now the liberation power of God, the transformative power of God now, but we still have to look forward to the consummation when all of the issues will be wiped away, when all of the sicknesses will be healed, when all of the blinded eyes will be open. But right now we still enjoy the inbreaking of the new world to come right here and what now. And so what we see here in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus says, my entire ministry is a ministry of liberation. And as we take our time and walk through the gospel of Luke, and I'm telling you, Luke is 24 chapters. We're going to be hanging out in Luke for a while. It's going to be good. There's some good stuff in Luke, though. I was walking through the book and working on a preaching calendar. It's a, it's a lot of variety in Luke. In fact, Luke is one of the most, um, most, one of the most uh, varying gospels that we have. It has all kinds of different accounts. It has miracle accounts. It has parables. It has beatitudes. It has resurrection accounts. It has visions. It has dreams. It has the canticles. It has songs. It has a little bit of everything for everybody. So we won't get bored anytime soon in the Gospel of Luke. But what I like about Luke is that Luke pays particular attention to those who are forgotten and oppressed. You see, if you walk through the Gospel of Luke, you'll find out that he says exactly what he says here over and over again, that Jesus came for the poor, he came for the captives, he came for the blind, he came for the oppressed, he came for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, he came for the women, he came for the Jews or, or, or for the children, he came for the people who were easily forgotten and pushed to the side. And the reason why that is important is because many of us have felt pushed to the side. Many of us know what it's like to be forgotten, know what it's like to be marginalized. I opened a sermon talking to you about the oppression of people of color on purpose because the gospel speaks to all spheres of life. It doesn't only speak to the spiritual, it speaks to the natural as well. And so I, I once, I know some people, they, they, they get real confused about this text. I was, as I was studying for this text, I was amazed at how contested it has become because there's some people who take this text and they focus on the natural aspects. They say, see, Jesus cares about the poor and the, the captives and the blind and the oppressed. And, and they say, in response to people who over-spiritualize the gospel, see, Jesus really cares about the natural. And he references the near year of Jubilee and he focuses on social, economic, and political liberation. And to that, I would actually say, Amen. I think when you look at the whole Bible, I think one has to close his eyes really hard to see that, to argue that God doesn't care for the vulnerable, the poor, and the oppressed. Deuteronomy says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Psalm 82 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Proverbs 31 says, Open your mouth for the mute and for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge rightly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. Micah 6 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Contrary to what fact, some factions of the people of God would tell you today and some factions of the church would tell you, this is not wokeism, this is not Marxism, this is called the Bible. This is what Jesus says, this is what the Torah says, this is what Moses says, this is what the whole sweep of scripture has to say. 
And yet, at the same time, while focusing and speaking to the concrete realities of where we are, it also does not deny in any way that Jesus is also speaking here about the spiritual realities of our slavery to sin, our oppression under the hand of evil, and our need for spiritual deliverance and resurrection through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so I, I, I tend to, I'm going to be honest with you, I just tend to stand and wonder why do we think God is not big enough to do, to do what my mama used to call walk and chew bubble gum? I, 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 I don't know why we think we got to have these weird arguments. And at this point, they are weird and they are driven by things outside of Scripture that make us go toe-to-toe with fellow Christians arguing about whether or not we should care about people holistically or not. Jesus says, I, I, you know what, I was hanging out with an old Presbyterian dude, and I'll never forget it. He was an old Dutch dude at Covenant Seminary, and I was talking to him about, like, is, is, is the social gospel real? And this old, bald-head Presbyterian, he looked me right in my face. I'm serious. That's what he was. I ain't being mean. He was. He was just, he would say that about himself. He looked at me. <laughs> I should use better modifiers for this person. He's a great guy. Uh, he, <laughs> he looked me right in my face and he said, Carlos, all this fuss about a social gospel is nothing but a boogeyman that's, that comes and it, all it does is cause us not to think through how we can love our neighbors most fully. He said, any gospel, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, any gospel with no social impact is not the gospel at all. And I sat there and I listened to him. And I said, I learned from that day. I said, you know what? I'm going to take a holistic approach to what God is doing. And I, because here's the truth of the matter is, people, God, listen, life is too complex. It's too difficult. It's too sundry to have a God who boxes himself off from certain aspects of your life. Yes, I need to be forgiven for my sins. Yes, I need to finish the work of Jesus. Yes, I need the blood of Christ applied to my sin debt. But sometimes as a black dude who drives through Clayton every day, I need a God I can cry out to when I see them burps and cherries. That's what you call them, the burps and cherries behind me. I need a God who is going to look out for me both as a person who believes in the blood of Jesus and as a black dude in America who is scared of the police a little bit. Now, not only do I need to know that God can liberate me and liberate my soul from the chains of slavery and sin through his atonement, through the substitutionary atonement of of Christ, but I also need to know that Christ can see me where I am as a person of color in a place where the authorities can cause me to feel a little bit of a way because he himself was a man of color who was executed by a corrupt state government in a sham trial using an ancient form of lynching called crucifixion. This is the Jesus that says, I own everything, all of it, and I'm not going to be isolated to the material or to the spiritual, but I can touch it all because I'm Lord of all. Do I got somebody in a house who know that this is the Jesus that we serve? And so we need to know that Jesus, that we, we can't, he won't be, he won't be isolated. That's why the left is frustrated because they're trying to claim Jesus over here. He, we want him on the left. We want him to be God is love and he accept anything. And he say, I don't accept anything because I'm love and justice and the right want them over here. And we want to say, we just, we, we ain't going to talk about that natural stuff. And we're just going to focus on the spiritual and we just, just going to preach the gospel. How are you going to tell Jesus to just, how are you going to tell me to just preach the gospel about Jesus when Jesus didn't just preach the gospel? Jesus helped people. He loved people. He delivered people. He opened blinded eyes. He gave them sandwiches when they were hungry. He raised the dead. He says, I am comprehensively Lord over all. And so, 
the gospel that we proclaim and the gospel that this church will continue to proclaim is one that is holistic, that is comprehensive, that is both Bible and bread, that serves the body, mind, and soul of person because that is what Jesus Christ did. And that's what we see throughout the gospel of Luke, a comprehensive salvation, a comprehensive call to follow him. And so Jesus didn't present in his trial sermon a agenda. He didn't present a, 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 a manifesto about all these different things. What Jesus presents rather is a picture of himself and a call for who he is as the liberator. And I've already gave you your two points. And you know, this, this new baby just messed up my whole sermon prep because I just keep coming out with two points. I wanted, I wanted to have a bunch of points, but this, this daddy brain is real. And so I just say, I was, the day was getting long. I said, you know what, two. We just, we just going to go with two. And, and I've already given them to you, actually. You, you see it in the text that Jesus himself, he gives us, he let us know that as the liberator, he is the one who liberates us. That's why the title of this whole sermon series is Liberated. That as the liberator, we see in this text his proclamation and his power. That's what we see. And so what do we see in the proclamation of the liberator? Look at the text. It's right in verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Watch this. He says, proclaim three times. He has, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I want to camp out for a minute, mainly on this idea that he proclaims good news to the poor. Because I believe each of these other categories are just sub points under the poor. This is good news. I want to start there when we start talking about what he's telling the poor. He is telling the poor good news. This is the gospel. This is the euangelion. This is the good news that a king who would look upon their plight had come into the world. Now, what's interesting, as I began to do word studies and nerd out about the word euangelion, I found out that it's not a word that is uh, uh, unique to the church. The word gospel was not first used in a church context at all. We actually stole it. We took it because we had a better use for it. It used to be applied to another king by the name of Caesar. And you see, when the new Caesar of Rome was born, a euangelion went out, a, a good news that a new king had been born. And when he became of age, another euangelion went out because he had become of age. And when he was enthroned and coronated, another euangelion would go out and they would celebrate because it was the possibility that they might have had a good king that actually cared about them. And they thought that this king was a god. They thought that this king could dispense healing. They thought that this king could... Uh, uh, control nature, but here was the problem with the euangelion of this king. They had to do it over and over and over again because he kept dying. This king just died over and over again. Not only did he not control nature, but he died by causes of nature. Not only could he not uh, transform their plight, but he often exploited their plight. Not only could this emperor not dispense healing, but he died from diseases himself. And so the church said, no, we know what the euangelion is. We know who the true king is. We know who the true emperor is, who never dies, who is really God in the flesh, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died a substitutionary death, and who rose from the dead to transform the entire creation and redeem us from the hands of sin. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of Caesar. This is why the statement that Jesus is Lord is one of the most politically charged statements in the history of earth because they used to say Caesar is Lord, and the early Christians said, no, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
And so to put it simply for you, the gospel is just simply the good news from John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I heard a song about it when I was a kid, and I just never forget it. It simply said that the gospel is living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified me and freed me forever. And one day he's coming back glorious. Day. Do I got some people in here who believe the gospel? Do I got some people who know who this king is? And so Jesus says that, that I'm here to preach the gospel. And I, I just want to pause right here because the content of this gospel doesn't change. The content is what I just said. The virgin birth, sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection, glorious ascension, and bodily return of Jesus. It can't change. It shouldn't change. And anybody who would argue that in order to care for the vulnerable, you need to change the gospel, just undercut the very power by which you can transform and bring change to the community. It's the gospel. There's the power of God unto salvation. And so the content of the gospel doesn't change. But what I love about this is the focus, the priority of who the king gives his proclamation to. He says, I give it to the poor. I give it to those who are downcast. I give it to those who don't have things. Now, you know, when we hear poor, we automatically think, you know, those without money. And it, and it does mean that. But this Hebrew word is a broader category than just those without money. It's actually those who would have been outcast and forgotten. These are people who would have been broke, who may have had disabilities. These are people who had baggage. These were lepers. These were everyone who was forgotten in society. These people would not have fit the late Kevin Samuels model of what he called a high-value man or woman. These were people who in their society were uneducated, uneducated. They were poor in spirit. They were forgotten. They had no hope. They had no encouragement. They had poor mental health. And this is exactly who Jesus says, my good news is for. You see, I, I, I like this because it became paradigmatic of who Jesus Christ came to serve. And some of these people are people who maybe actually have some money. You see some of these folks who actually have some means. The woman with the alabaster box who breaks it at the feet of Jesus. She wasn't a poor money. Now, how she got her money is, uh, uh, that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But, but she wasn't materially poor. But she recognized when she stood before the Son of God that she lacked everything that would cause her to be embraced in her society. And she knew that Jesus was the one who would embrace her. You know, one of the things that I've learned and, and one of the things that I've often said and often shared is that you can learn a lot from a person by their friends and by their circle. I don't have to get to know a person all that well. I can just look at the people they hang around with. If I see someone hanging around with a group of unsavory individuals, I'm not going to think that they're the one saint in the group. I have no reason to think that. I've, I've gone, I've been places, I've, I've been places and I had, a, I, I had someone there that I knew and I seen their friend. I was one time, I was at a wedding and I knew the best man a little, I mean, I knew the, the groom a little bit, but then I saw his best man and his groomsman. I was like, oh boy. And I just started praying for that marriage. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, cause he's not the one, you know, because he's his friend. Um, and so I just prayed and I just trusted the Lord and I lead a story there. But the point is, is that we can often tell who we are associated with and who our character is by who we associate with. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to ignore that completely. 
And I'm actually going to associate with those who are poor, who are broken, who are forgotten, who are disenfranchised because I am God enough not to be pulled down by them, but to lift them up out of their situation. And so what I love about this is that he proclaims the gospel to the poor. And then he says, listen, I proclaim release to the captives, both those literally caught up in unjust uh, legal pipelines and those who are spiritually captive to the powers of sin of evil. I proclaim liberty to the oppressed, both, both to those who are grown, ground under by oppressive governments and those who are oppressed by the power of Satan. I proclaim sight to the blind, both those who are in need of natural sight and those who are blinded by the God of this world. I associate with them all because I have the power to lift them all up. And so this is the proclamation of the liberator, but I've already given you a second point, and I'm going to be out the way because we got seven people to baptize. The second thing that I want to share with you is that we see in this text the proclamation of the liberator, but we also see the power of the liberator. Look at it. He says, he starts it in, in verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What I love about Jesus' proclamation is that Jesus don't talk the way you and I talk. You see, I can proclaim all kind of stuff. I can, I can say all kind of things. I walk in my house, make proclamations all the time. Hey, why don't y'all clean this house up? Hey. <laughs> and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. You know, you, we, can, <laughs> we can proclaim all kind of things, but the proclamation that we make may or may not bring change and power and application to anything that we are saying whatsoever. And what I love about Jesus' proclamation in God's word is because God doesn't talk the way we talk. Because anything that God proclaims has to happen. There's power behind everything that he said. The theologians call this the speech acts of God. I love what uh, Herman Bobbing says about this. He says, the word is not an empty set of vibrations in the air, nor an empty sign or a cold symbol. But every word, also every human word, is a power greater and more durable than the power of the sword. Encapsulated within it is thought, mind, soul, and life. If this applies to words in general, how much more is it true of the word that proceeds from the mouth of God that is spoken by him? That is a word that creates and maintains, judges and kills, recreates and renews, and always accomplishes what it meant, what is meant, and never returns empty. It always and everywhere is the word of God and is the power of God, and it is always efficacious, and it is never powerless. This is what Jesus says. So when Jesus says, I come to proclaim liberation to the captives, he don't just say, be free. But when Jesus says, be free, chains start to fall. When Jesus says he came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, he doesn't just say, eyes be open and nothing happens, but eyes start to fly open. Jesus doesn't just proclaim liberation for the oppressed, but Jesus' words lift the foot of oppression off the shoulders of the oppressed. Jesus doesn't just say, rise up and be healed, but his word puts strength in the legs of the lame. Jesus doesn't just say, be delivered from drugs, but his words gives you power to put the needle down. Jesus doesn't just say be healed from the pain, but his word causes healing to flow through our veins. Jesus just doesn't say be whole from your infirmity, but his words are a balm that brings healing. It's all right because I'm preaching to myself right now because I have experienced the power of the anointed one and his anointing to bring deliverance to the fallen aspects of my life. And what I love about this Jesus says, I have been anointed for this. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't just be walking, walking around, waking up, saying that I'm about to go and anoint myself with some lotion, even though my knuckles may look like I need to anoint myself 
with lotion. We just don't talk about anointing like that. What, what does anointing even mean? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, there were only three people in the history of Israel or three uh, uh, offices in the history of Israel that were anointed to do anything. It was the prophet, the priest, and the king. The anointing happened when someone would pour oil. The high priest had a special anointing oil in Israel that could never be duplicated because no one should ever be anointed high priest except for the high priest. No one should even smell like the high priest except for the high priest. The king was anointed with a special anointing oil. The prophet was anointed with a special oil. And the pouring out of the oil upon the head of the prophet, priest, or king represent an imbuement and an endowment with power to bring about the work that they're offering. Uh, called for them to do. And so when Jesus says, I have been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, he's pointing back to his baptism in chapter 3. The Bible says uh, that Jesus, when he was baptized, that he came up out the water and in a Trinitarian moment of unity and love, we see the Father speak out over the Son, this is my beloved Son, eternally generated from me, in whom I am well pleased. And then we see the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lighting and being poured out on Jesus, not just as one who receives the Spirit, but as Luke tells us earlier, as the one who can now pour out and baptize us with the Spirit. And so Jesus pictures himself as the ultimate king, the ultimate priest, the ultimate prophet. This means that whatever you need, Jesus is a one-stop shop for it. That's what it means. We don't need a separate prophet. We don't need a separate priest. We don't need a separate king. We have everything we need in the one who has been anointed. And so because of who Jesus is, not only does he proclaim, but when he proclaims, he has power because of the anointing. And his anointing, the spirit of God, breaks every single yoke because he is the one power that we need to bring about transformation. I, I love everything about this. I, I love everything about this, that he is a one-stop shop. You know, I was, I was reading about our, our smartphones that we have here, and I saw this meme, and I don't always get good information from memes on Instagram, but this particular day I did. It showed me a picture of a smartphone. And then it said, this device has replaced all of these other devices. And it showed a camcorder. It showed uh, a compass. It showed a GPS. It showed uh, a, a camera. It showed about 15, 20 dev devices that this one little device has replaced. And that made me think about Jesus because I don't need a prophet that I go and see. I don't need a psychic. I don't need tarot cards. I don't even need any of these things. I don't need a medium to give me a read. I don't need to manifest nothing. I don't need to go and talk to nobody because I know the one who spoke out on nothing and created everything. I know the one who speaks from a place of power and creates and recreates whenever he feels like it. I don't need to go and sit in a confessional and tell the priest all my business when I know the priest on the side of that wall might have more issues than I got. I can, <laughs> I can talk to the great high priest and I can come unto him and receive mercy and help in the time of need because I know that he is a priest who has been tempted in every way just as I have and yet without sin. I know that while I am sinful that he is free of sin and can cleanse me of my sin. I don't need a greater king. I don't need a new president. I don't need the Republican Party to get their act together. I don't need the, the Democrats to put their flags down because I have a great king who stands over everything and who rules and who super rules and has everything that I need. 
So we see the power. We have the, the, the power of the liberator that flows throughout. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you all this and then I'm done. I, I, I was uh, one of, I have three, like three of the greatest moments of my life. One of them was getting married to my wife. One of the greatest moments of my life. Amen. Y'all should clap for me. One of the other moments that was a great moment in my life was the birth, and I guess it's, it's, it's three of them now, it just keeps happening, four of them, it's, uh, <laughs> was the birth of my children. And I, 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 just, I just have, it's, every time it's been an ecstatic experience to see the miracle of these children be born. But there's another moment in my life, and it comes up under all of those things. I mean, I think this comes above my degrees and school and all that stuff. And it was the day I moved out and got my own apartment. I, and, and lived, I, if, if you don't know what it's like to just be in a house with people your whole life and then finally have your own, and I, y'all, I ain't had nothing in this apartment. I'm, all I had was my clothes and a pillow and a blanket. I was so happy in this apartment all by myself. I, I'll never forget it. I got, I got it, man. I had just my money. I ain't had no furniture in that mug. <laughs> it was just me. Just, I was so glad in the suburbs of Detroit around, I lived in this area called Wall Lake. I was just up there looking around the lake. I've never been so peaceful in my life. I didn't even know all them lakes in Michigan. I had never sat around one. I didn't even know lakes was that nice. I sat around Wall Lake and just thanked my lucky stars. And so I was there in my own apartment and the months wore on. And in my life, in my experience, there was always multiple bills that you got. You got a, 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 an electric bill, uh, you got a gas bill, you got a water bill, you got a sewer bill. Um, but I noticed for a while, I kept only getting one bill. I paid my rent, then I got an electric bill. And so the first one, I wasn't worried because I, I, I mean, I wasn't looking for bills, but I didn't want stuff to get cut off, you know? And first month, I didn't say nothing. I'm like, okay, what's well, first month? Stuff probably ain't coming through. So I waited. Okay, cool. Second month, nothing. One bill, electric bill. So I waited. Okay, all right, seems to be working out. Okay. After third month, I finally went to the property manager. I said, hey, man, I ain't getting no bills. I don't want. My, 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 my gas and, and, and all these things get cut off. I just keep getting one bill. I want to make sure stuff's being paid. He said, well, Carlos, you know your whole apartment only runs on one power source. He said, it only runs on electric, so your stove is electric. Your furnace is electric. Everything in your apartment is electric, so when you connect to that one power source and pay that one bill, you have everything you need. You are good to go, and we take care of the water, which you're in. Don't worry about it. As long as you connect it to that one power source, you pay DTE, that's the Michigan version of Ameren, you are good to go. And if you ain't caught it yet, I'm going to give it to you before I baptize these folks, that no matter what you need, there's only one power source. Whether, whether, whether you need deliverance, from sin, whether you need deliverance from addiction, whether you need a deliverance from depression or oppression or healing for your body or your soul or your mind or your finances or your marriage, whether you're dealing with oppression, discrimination, whether you need liberation economically, there is one power source and all you have to do is tap into the power source and he has the power to bring about deliverance wherever you are in your life. And this power source, his name, is Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the bright and the morning star. He is the Son and the King of David. He is the one who comes to reign over all of our lives. And He is the power source that as long as we are tapped into Him, we are good. Now, listen, here's the call, people of God. Some of us are not tapped in. And He's saying, I got everything you need. If you need, spiritual deliverance, 
forgiveness of your sins. I am the Savior. I died on a cross to redeem you, to liberate you from everything in your life that is trying to oppress you. Even the things in your life that it seems that outside of your control, whether you experience issues on your job, discrimination, pain in the workplace, sickness in your body. Jesus says, whatever you need, I got it. And all you got to do is plug in because I have the power behind my proclamation. As I get ready to change and we get ready to baptize, I want to invite you. There will be brothers and sisters up here who can pray with you, who can help you tap into this power source. They can help you plug in to Jesus Christ and get to know him better. Or maybe you just got some burdens that you need to lay down. You're walking through some things and you're trying to do it in your own power. Listen, you don't have to do that. We have a great liberator who bore the weight of our full existence on the cross, got it from the grave with all power in his hands, and now rules and super rules and says, I got all power. And so you don't have to bear it on your own. He bears it with you. He holds you up. He lifts you up. And so I want to invite you. If you need someone to walk with you, to bear that weight with you, I want to invite you to get to know the one who is our great liberator. Hear the proclamation of his gospel and experience the power of his liberation. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, we thank you that you are the liberator, that you are the one who sets us free from the chains of sin. God, you are the one who sets us free from the weight that the world lays on us, God. And we pray and we ask that you would help us to experience your power today. The power of the resurrection, the power of the age to come, the power of the world to come. Father, we pray that we can experience it today. Transform us. Call us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.